The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I am Paul Edwards and I'm very pleased to welcome everyone. I want to begin tonight by um, making an announcement, which I'll also make at the end of the show. Um, Next week, we are not doing a Tuesday topics because of the fact that there'll be an ACB board meeting. So I want everyone to uh, bear that in mind. We'll probably put up a, a rerun that Rick will get the opportunity of choosing, um, or Larry. Um, and on the 6th of February, we are not doing a Tuesday topics um because I will be in Tallahassee um, getting ready to go and see legislators. Uh, it, would, it would be fun to do it, but, um, but it, it's going to involve wrangling 35 or 40 people to make, get them ready to do legislative visits in the glorious state of Florida. So, um, so you can expect us on the 13th of February, and we're going to be talking about relationships, and I'll send out lots of information about that. So get ready to share all your sexy stories on the 13th. We will look forward to having all of you guys there. <clears throat> we have our whole crew with us this evening. My co-host, Mr. Brian Charlson, is here. Good evening, Brian. Good evening. Uh, wonder. Yeah, I'm going to have to do something in advance of the 13th. I, I promised myself someday I would get involved in this whole business of date night as a married couple, but yes. it never quite got off got off uh, the launch pad. Anyway, I'm thinking well, about those Valentine's, things already. So. Valentine's Day would work. You, you, you just have to prepare a, 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 a notated diary for us. There we go. Yeah. Notated. <clears throat> That's excellent. Yeah. And Miss Marianne is here, our our beloved hand raiser person. Hey, Miss Marianne. Hello, Paul. I'm happy to be here. How are you today? I am well, thank you. And uh, our streamer, Mr. Larry Gassman, is with us. Larry, are you doing well, sir? I am doing very well. It stopped raining, so we're good to go, and it's nice outside. Why yeah. am I in here? Oh. I don't know. It started <laughs> raining. Just started raining do here, so I'm glad I'm inside. <laughs> we could not. Wow. And Mr. Rick Morin is here and in good voice. Mr. Morin, hey, how guys, are you, sir? How are you? Good evening, Excellent. everybody. Yep. So this evening, um, we we have kind of a double dip, and I'm really excited about it because we have the president uh, of uh uh, an organization called Blind Information Technology Specialists, who has newly assumed that position. But he also has a, a, a pretty long history in ACB and an even longer history as a blind person. We'll probably get an opportunity to talk about all of those things. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Tuesday Topics, Mr. Jeff Bishop. Hey, Jeff. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me. That's excellent. <clears throat> so blind information technology specialists used to be VidPi. Yep, in 1969, that was when it started. Yep. And and do you remember what VidPi stood for? 
visually impaired data processors international right i think something that's right correct. you yep. got it yep mm-hmm. yep yep um so i i tried to join vidpi um when i when i got active in the american council of the blind and and they decided that i was not qualified um, <laughs> well you're qualified and, and said, now we're waiting for you to fill out your membership form paul that's right that's right at joinbits.org so, i gotta sneak that in <laughs> That uh, that's right, and we'll, that's we'll right. be talking yeah. lots about that, of course. Okay. But but VidPi, when it started out, was mostly a, a computer programmers organization. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, punch card people, you know. And and, uh, and in two thousand five, it changed to Bits, and really tried to open it up to be more of a consumer facing organization for people who just really wanted to. Uh, talk about technology and 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 learn about it and mm-hmm. so it's been that way for what 19 years now so yeah but vidpi is probably one of the oldest special interest affiliates then i think i think so yeah it's been around almost yeah from almost the beginning yep yeah almost <clears throat> i think maybe cclvi started before it but i don't know and maybe guide dogs but i don't know that any of the others were <clears throat> so it may well be um I'll, I'll probably get all all kinds of rude notes from vendors to say they were around before and on and on and on um because i was not a a member of of acb until 1977 so um oh, so, late bloomer a late bloomer yeah brian was 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 already down in florida by 1977 boy exactly that was my first national Miami yep. Beach. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> you know, we might have met then because um, the, a guy who I interviewed on Tuesday Topics was desperately trying to persuade me to go to, to Miami to that meeting. And uh, I I ended up not doing it. Things might have been different. Yeah. Might have. Might have. <laughs> I, I'm interested, Jeff, when did you become a member of ACB? Oh my gosh! Uh, off and on, I mean, I uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at AMMS, or at least have Sharon look it up. Um, I became really active in about two thousand three, but I but I uh, dipped in much earlier than that. But and it would be hard to tell you because I think my I think my parents got involved with ACB with with me as a youth too, and then and then you know college and dating and getting married and all those things sort of. And then working and all those things sort of got in the way. And I attended a couple of conventions when they were in Arizona and then one in California and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you officially, but uh, really started to get a lot more active in 2003, 2004. Gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So had, had you been blind all your life, Jeff? Or Yes, I was born, I was born blind. Uh, I had a twin. He passed away uh, soon after he was born, and uh, was born about almost almost three months premature. So, uh, detached retinas and all that kind of fun stuff. And mm-hmm. mom, so, mom uh, told officially, me, you know, either RLF or ROP. Yeah, ROP. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so you can uh, you can you can tell when people are old if they know the term RLF. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And if they yep. can pronounce and then, it. Uh, had a lot of problems yeah. with my feet too. So I, 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 I don't remember it, but 
my parents told me that because uh, I had to reconstruct my my feet. It was a wreck when I was a little 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 guy, and uh, so I had to wear braces on my feet for two years, and then. But so now that's why I walk like a pigeon. But that's all right. It works. <laughs> I don't know. Did did you did they decide to augment your feet while they were at it? I mean, I always wondered if you had a chance for reconstruction, would you really build it back the way you found it, or would you no, do it one better? They were they were turned in really badly and oh, things and so gotcha. they had to try to get them to you know go straight and all those things so yeah i i was uh i weighed less than a pound when i was born and so yeah it it took a while and, I, and you know but we're here now so you wouldn't yeah. know it based on based on all that but uh and, and 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 there was a time before you lost weight where you weighed considerably more than a pound yeah i i grew like what uh <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that's all right. I'm a lot different now, so that's good. Yes. 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 So, did you were you mainstreamed all through school, or I went to? Um, so we moved out to Arizona because my uh, my both my dad and my brother had asthma. So mm -hmm. when you lived in the East Coast, they sent everybody who had you know conditions like that out to the West Coast because mm -hmm. it was drier. And I went to ASDB, the Arizona State School for the Deaf and Blind, and I did mm -hmm. that until about eighth grade. And then I started to do mainstream stuff in the middle 80s and uh, then graduated in 85 and then started college after that. Uh -huh. so, yeah. Yep. And did you do information technology in college or? Uh, I did. And I, I actually started that um, in, in high school too. In fact, they couldn't quite figure out how I was going to do that. So we had to come up with very innovative approaches to allow me to read the screen on PDP 11 mm -hmm. dumb terminals. And yep. yeah, it was, it was kind of, kind of interesting. Thank God I was a ham because we were able to figure out, you know, uh -huh. well, well, shoot, we'll get the printer to send the, his code in Morse code, which got really <laughs> noisy and, and obnoxious. So they didn't let me do that too long, but it worked. It was rather mm -hmm. interesting. And, uh, so it had some good people around me to help with that and then mm -hmm. then started programming in college and yep 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 and and did you did did you play with the opticons on the screen i did i did i was an opticon user yeah i was never really really great at it though it was one of those things where you know i wish i could be as good as judy dixon was with opticon mm -hmm. but that wasn't me so I, I i struggled with it i i don't know why that was but I just, I just was not very efficient at it. Um, I was good I could, enough to read books, so yeah. So I did. I could right. do it. I, mean, I, I could do it, but it was slow. I wasn't great. I mean, I was uh, when when I say I was good, I was probably reading at fifty or fifty-five words a minute, and no more than that. Yeah, I don't think but, I was doing that that well. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty slow. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing device. Not it now, was. Were yeah, you, were you a, a a braille user pretty much from the beginning? Yep. Yep. Absolutely, nice. and that, and I um, although although I should have graduated what eighty three eighty four, uh, I I got spinal meningitis when I was in when I was about five, goodness, and uh, and I don't remember any of this, and apparently I lost all of the memory that I had when I was in kindergarten, so they made me wow. repeat everything. So, yeah, it was kind of an interesting situation. They flew me on an emergency jet to to california children's hospital in los angeles and i don't remember any of this stuff but apparently it went on oh. for about three months and i i couldn't tell you any a word of it 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, that kind of put, put, put me behind about a year because mm-hmm. I had to relearn even some basic speech. And, you know, it was a pretty traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was. But you were able rather, to be a jet setter at a very young age. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And riding my bike all around the neighborhood and getting in trouble with CPS. My parents getting in trouble with CPS because they let a, a blind child ride a bicycle on the street and skateboard around the neighborhood and do all the normal things that kids do. That was a good thing mm-hmm. for my, my parents to have to contend with. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neighbors were terrified of me running around the neighborhood, but that's all right. It all worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. And did you go to college in Phoenix or? Tucson. Tucson. Nice. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Never finished though. Got married and then uh, went to work. And then, uh, you know, so that kind of got in the way. And then in 95, I went to work for Microsoft uh, for a few years. And then uh, that Microsoft decided to leave Tucson. Uh, so I went to work for the company that took over the business that they that they handed mm-hmm. off to. And then I went to work for the University of Arizona from 2001 through 2017. And yep. then left uh, left to go back to work at Microsoft in Seattle or Redmond, where mm-hmm. I worked on the Windows accessibility team for about six years, and was that that was a, a pretty interesting uh, opportunity for me. I learned a lot, learned about myself. Uh, a lot of transformational things happened to me in that six years. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I left as one person, and you know, uh, half of me stayed there and. And never was seen again so it was just an interesting uh just an interesting transformational change for me in that those six years so um and, and do you think microsoft that. impacted that or or was it just that that it was something you decided to do at that point well i tried to do it when i was in arizona prior to that but the, but insurance wouldn't do it because the, uh-huh. you, know, you had to do a psychological exam and mm-hmm. i think that the in tucson they just didn't know how to deal with a blind person you know oh my gosh you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to handle this situation blah 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 so mm-hmm. it took a lot of work to <laughs> try to figure out how that was going to get accomplished and mm-hmm. but uh no it, it it turned out turned out okay i, I mean it, i think a lot of things happened to me when i was there that were transformational um mm-hmm. i i learned a lot about myself i learned a lot about my family i learned a lot about technology and how to be more adaptable and it was just it was it was a i you know uh great opportunity great great lessons learned great life lessons learned um and so i'm happy that i did it so it was it was a great opportunity but i was happy to come back to tucson too now your job at at the university was it had to do with disabilities but it wasn't like in disability services right well, so it started. I, I I started as a developer on um in our university information technology services group, mm-hmm. and I worked on our student information system. So I did a bunch of development, you know, for right. administrative stuff, and I did that for seven years, seven or eight years, mm-hmm. and then I switched over to working on um on our financial system, and then I mm-hmm. after that worked on our learning management system. Again, work, working on development and doing code work for that, mm-hmm. and then and then an opportunity came up where they were wanting 
someone to work in digital accessibility on campus. And I went, wow, that's interesting. So I applied and interviewed and got the job and went over there in 2014. So I did that for about three years and then, then I left. And then we were, we were talking about coming back to Tucson anyway and working, you know, for Microsoft uh, remotely. And then mm-hmm. I was talking to the university and they're like, Hey, our, you know, your job, you, you know, our, your job is still, uh, your, your job's open again. And I thought, wow, well, that's interesting. So I applied and mm-hmm. went through the process and, uh, I, I will say it was like coming home. It, it was, uh, it was a delight to walk in the building and be handed a laptop and say, just, you know, get it all set up. And then, you know, literally the second day I was basically back doing what I was doing seven years before, you know, six years before that with no real difference in change. I mean, yes, some, some of the systems changed a little bit, but overall it was very much the same, a lot of the same people. So it was almost, it just felt very strange. Uh, and it's wonderful. I mean, it, I, I, I love my job um, back at the university. It's a, it's a much, much more relaxed environment. Um, mm-hmm. There's always something different happening every single day. So that's, that's fun. Uh, you, you talk to lots of intriguing people every single day and, and you work on different things every single day. So it's good. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not the 60, 70 hour work weeks that I, that I was doing right. at Microsoft, you know, where that was, I, I will admit was getting a bit challenging. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not 40, <laughs> you know, right. if I was right. in my thirties or forties, it might be different. I'm 57 uh-huh. years old. So uh-huh. You know, it it I'm I'm happy with with where I am, and I, I'm uh, I'm blessed that I had the opportunities that I had, mm-hmm. and um, I don't regret any of them. I, I think I I think I provided significant impact to the company, and I think they provided impact to me, and it was rewarding all up. So yes, it's all you know. You have to definitely look at things in a very positive and you know uplifting way because that's that's how you continue to live life to to the fullest. Now, there aren't a lot of universities that I know about, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, who have a position like the one that you do now. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more than you think, actually, but the space is getting um, smaller and smaller. Um, there, there, there are quite a number of universities. I'm, I'm the president of the um, Access to technology higher education network as well like i wear so many hats i know it's crazy my wife mm-hmm. keeps telling me you need to say no I say, yeah i know i'm working on it mm-hmm. um so I, I i but the nice thing about that position is that i can pretty much deal with that at work because it's a it, mm-hmm. it's a professional organization that is related specifically to higher education uh and so i you know that that makes it kind of easy i don't have to do as much of that when I'm not at the office or when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that organization works very closely with people like myself who are working across the higher education space and working on uh, assistive technology, either uh, by in support of students, faculty, or staff, or working with vendors to ensure that, that the tools, services, and technologies that are being developed remain or become accessible. And so we've worked with, you know, companies such as Microsoft and, and others, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and continue to do so actually. So it's a, it's, it's a great relationship. Uh, it's an interesting challenge for me. I've 
never served on 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 a leadership level such as this with Athen. It's definitely different. Mm-hmm. It feels much smaller compared to compared to the size of bits. It's it's very small, All right? <laughs> but but then again. <laughs> Bits was very small about six months ago. So I, I don't know how to compare that, to be honest with you. Um, so we'll talk we, about that, I guess. But yeah, we will. The, we we yeah, will. We've, yeah. we've, we've got time. We got two so, hours. Yeah. So yeah. Do, do you do you find that uh, that that you can persuade like your university? And, and, and I'm talking because I'm interested in this because I worked um, you did too. In yeah. in in the university system a lot. And and, exactly. and I I I had to use very different approaches than the ones that you're talking about. I didn't I didn't have a lot of allies in network services. So the approach that I had to take was was very different from yours. But what I was gonna ask you is <clears throat> does your university um and and uh, I mean I know that what 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 504 says and I and I know what ADA says, but does your your university essentially uh, try to do a pretty good job of making sure that stuff is accessible before they adopt it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, there's always a challenge here, right? But uh, yes, and I think this is true both in our RFP and RFI processes as well as yeah. uh, in in the process of uh, work that's happening with developers and 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 designers and um you know uh ux people and all of that kind of stuff uh you know i i I have great opportunities where i can go and meet with them and say listen you know not only do we need to focus on this but honestly you guys should be looking at certifying your people in accessibility like yeah so right so that you you know you don't need me necessarily except to to validate things right um Mm -hmm. and so it's, it's it's about being a partner right and and whatever we're doing whether it's acb or it's in your professional life or your or your family life whatever it is you you build things together with great partnerships and yeah doing that sets you up for success in all ways possible so coming with that love that attitude and and bringing that that positive nature about the work that you're doing mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is is mm-hmm. is is truly a, a game changer and so we had, that's the approach i've been trying to take right we had this really interesting approach at at, at miami did and i'll talk about it for a second because i think it's relevant <clears throat> to um to what we're trying to do in in acb in terms of access technology um i, I was able relatively early on in my career to get the college to adopt something that essentially said that that they would do a sign-off for accessibility um, before they purchased any any software or before they allowed faculty um, to utilize any software. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I figured that was a really win situation and I thought it was great. <clears throat> um, unfortunately, um, the vendors lied. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly and, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and they they said their stuff was accessible. And by the time the college had put uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes into systems, um, it became clear that, that their stuff wasn't accessible and they had no recourse. And so 
eventually we had to go in an entirely different direction. And that direction was to get every vendor who was applying for something to in effect sign a document that says, yes, this stuff is accessible. And if it's not, um, we'll give you your money back. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so what we're doing is we are validating as much as we possibly can. Sometimes yes. this is difficult, but what we are doing is we're give, of course getting their VPAT, which you know, <laughs> you take them for whatever they're worth because yes, right. And and and, and there, <laughs> I want to see things like, well, how did you actually test the system, and what what technologies yeah. did you use to test it, and what was that uh-huh. sign off, what was your quality assurance process, you know. Yeah, all of these things, and then and then we actually ask for access to the to the platform, and we do our mm-hmm. own checking to make sure that oh well, let's find out if this is truly accessible or not because we don't, you know, it's it's like trust but verify, right? Um, yeah, and, and and so and, I think and, that's a and big, I guess yeah yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying to you is is you guys are really far ahead from where most colleges and universities are. Um, we're trying and, to be. And, we're not perfect right, at it, but we're trying to be. Right. Yep. Yeah. And and but I think you I think you really do need to congratulate your university for yeah thank for, you for taking that approach because yeah. <clears throat> um, at, at Miami Dade you, you know we eventually got there but it was lots of blood sweat and tears and 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 with emphasis on the blood um, that 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 got us to to where we got and and sure you know we had. By the by, the time I left, um, a, a pretty comprehend, comprehensively accessible stuff across the board. Um, Very good. I, I understand we don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, if you don't stay but, on top of it, boy, it it yeah can radically change pretty quickly. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. and really, if there's not somebody who who is carrying that ball, it doesn't That's get correct. carried. Yeah, got to have someone and, that's and, a torch. Yeah. And have accessibility champions across the university, across the academic space, right? And yes. so that's that's also extremely important because you need allies to support you in that work, and that's that's that becomes critical. And one of the things that I discovered, and 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 I suspect that I suspect you'll agree with this as well. And then then we'll get off this topic. But one of the things that I discovered is the only way. Um, the only way that it works is, is if you create allies within your college or university right at the top, because That's right. un, un, yep. unless, unless you're dealing with folks at that level, you, you don't have the leverage to get stuff done. You just don't. Well, I think um, that's true in education and I think that's true in technology right. companies too. Yes. I mean, if, yeah. if, 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 if you didn't have the Tim Cooks, the Satya Nadella's and others that, that, yep you know, state the level of commitment that they are, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the level of accessibility yep. that we have yep. today. There's no question yep. about it. I agree. <clears throat> um, and I guess the last question I'll ask you about this stuff is, is at the, at, at the educational level, what are the challenges that you see us still having? Uh, I, I, I think that, I think that it's, the, it's no different than in the, the, the real world it's it's yep. website accessibility it's yep. you know document uh documents not being fully accessible it's mm-hmm. uh applications that are you know very very quickly developed that are not necessarily accessible the the 
industry as a whole from a technology perspective is moving so fast right now and it's only getting faster which which is very very scary to me because this is where this is where we tend to see you know the safeguards sometimes alter um in the area of accessibility because people are trying to compete so quickly and this is where we all need to be doing our due diligence and keeping an eye on everyone Mm-hmm. to ensure that the state of accessibility is maintained and i and i'm not projecting anything here about anyone or anything um yes i am just saying that that especially with ai uh right this stuff is changing dramatically i mean brian you can probably speak to this is is dramatically changing weekly we're seeing dramatic mm-hmm. shifts in in the technology space and with that i mean look uh chat gpt just as an example, still has unlabeled buttons on their website for their UI, which is ridiculous. Like that's something that should have been able to be fixed in five minutes, right? This is not stuff that's difficult to do and -hmm. it's not. And this is just one example of, you know, things not being done because they're trying to move so quickly in other areas. And I, I, Mm -hmm. I am just fearful that, that, you know, we as an advocacy organization need to be making sure that we are watching and that we are advocating correctly. Uh, that doesn't mean that we need to jump to doing crazy things. I don't, I don't advocate for that either, right? Um, but we need to be partnering, as I said earlier, partnering with the companies that we that we work with, and in a friendly way to bring concerns, if there are any, forward. To ensure that accessibility remains at the forefront, and but but I think that's true, no, regardless of what's happening, we should always be doing this. You right. know, it's it it it's not about necessarily what's happening in AI. It's it's just this is what we all should be doing to ensure that that we are safeguarding our livelihoods, whether we're at home, work, or play. We want to be able to be successful in the things that we can accomplish together, and mm-hmm. this is why. This is why we exist. Well, it's one of the reasons why we exist as a as a national organization is to right. make sure that that we represent those things and you know uh, and do it in a kind and respectful um, way as a partner uh, to try to 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 work with companies to do the right thing. And most of them are, to be honest with you. I think yep. I think that it's it's the situation right now is a little bit different because. You know, just the industry is so competitive everywhere. I mean, everywhere that Especially it's with that AI. It, yeah, exactly. That that you know, um, when you're running 300 miles an hour, you know, you just it's, it's it's challenging. So, you know, um, I I can I can tell you with a surety that that the teams that I worked with, because uh, I know them personally, you know, I like for example, Microsoft's commitment is is stellar to to none mm-hmm. um you know uh you know but nobody's perfect in this space and they know that you know nobody's yeah. per- nobody's perfect and this is why we need to make be making sure that we're telling the stories and using the channels that they offer to communicate concerns you know the disability answer desk the enterprise disability answer desk accessibility mm-hmm. at apple you know mm-hmm. um whatever google's using these days i'm not sure what what they're 
I, I, I think you can use be my eyes to communicate with them. You know, whoever that yep. is, Amazon, we've been talking to Amazon, right? So it, it's, it's all of these companies collectively truly care. And I truly 1000% believe that, that the commitment is real. We just need to help them along. That's what it's all mm-hmm. about, right? Yep. 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 Brian, yep. do you want to do you want to raise any issues? Sure. Uh, first, I got to get some oxygen. Okay, I got some. Um, I always um, have a uh, kind of a internal battle between the use of the phrase "accessible" versus "usable." I was going to just do bring you, this up. Do you feel that there's much? attention given to the usability question as opposed to the accessibility question you know uh, about the last six months that i was at microsoft one of the things that i kept uh, i need to be careful how i phrase this but i think i can say this generally um one of the things that i that i talked a lot about both in my work and outside of work was you know we can talk about compliance if but users don't know what compliance means if i were to walk up to my wife and says this application is compliant she'd look at me like what the heck are you talking about what does that even mean (laughs) right nobody knows what that even means a lawyer knows what it means and and we as professionals know what it means but to users they have no clue what that means what they want to be asking themselves is is this usable can i use it can i use it like everybody else and that's the question that we need to be asking ourselves because it's it's not does everything have an accessible name? You know, uh, is it fully WCAG compliant? Well, okay, maybe, maybe it is, but is it usable and is it efficient and is it productive? And I think that, that we need to stop talking about, some people need to talk about this because it's the legal framework that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Lawyers have to talk about it, but we as individuals, when we're speaking to, to technology companies, we need to be talking to them about usability, productivity and efficiency because that's what the bar needs to be it can't just be quote accessible that's not good enough so so let's try to understand that differentiation a little bit better um and brian you can you can jump in if you want to but my by by usability are you suggesting for example that the way that a blind person would use a product might be substantially different than the way a sighted person might use the product because for that blind person, that product is more usable in another way. Well, sure. Because think about it. If, if a sighted person is using an app, they can glance at the screen and they can look at spe- a specific region of the screen mm-hmm. and know exactly what to do. We may or may not have that ability because it might take us 10 tab stops to get there we don't have hotkeys right. or efficiencies to allow us to be as, as quick at doing the same thing that a sighted person can do and that's a combination of screen reader technology as well as application you know uh and i know that for example um a lot of companies have been working really really hard on this on this problem and adding a lot of keyboard shortcuts and making their applications more efficient which is great absolutely fantastic but but there needs to be the industry as a whole needs to be more focused on that rather than meeting this standard of just you know there's these there's there's all these requirements and you know 
you're just going to meet these specific standards. And, and, and it's hard because it's not, it's not something that you can point to with an automated tool and say, yes, this, this meets this standard. I, I know that the web content accessibility guidelines is working on version right. 3.0, which is supposed to help. I, I believe anyway, it's supposed to help address some of this, you know, issue of usability right. rather than meeting just this, you know, does everything have a name and is, you know, is it keyboard accessible and all these other things? So we'll see, we'll see. But I, I fundamentally believe that there needs to be a major shift in the way that we approach. Um, I don't even like to say it this way, but approach accessibility uh, and and making sure that applications are are as great as they are for people who can see the screen versus those of us who cannot. So, so this is so. Let me ask the big the argument. Two of yeah. you a question that do you think that inherently current programs are will almost always take blind people longer to access stuff in not by definition no no not there by definition sometimes no. there with a good set of of memorable hotkeys I can get through things much faster than a sighted person reaching yeah, for that yep. mouse That's and trying to drag and drop their way through mm -hmm. uh, a process. Yep. No, no question about it. Does it require that I know more about what I'm doing than that sighted person does? Absolutely. I have sure to remember does. the keystroke. It's not point, click, drag. It's, it's really knowing what is appropriate at a given moment. So I don't think that we are inherently as a result of our visual impairment, going to do things more slowly. No. Uh, but it does require that we know more, more directly how to get the job done. I, I think if you take a look at um, iOS apps specifically, where the primary uh, you, you know, user interface is touch, right? You, right. Have, you have applications that visually are very rich and to a sighted person, they can just tap on a specific area of the screen and they can go do whatever they need to do. Whereas for us with voiceover, that's not necessarily the case because there's so much, there's, the applications are so busy because they feel they need to have all these buttons and all these interaction points and all these different things that we need to be able to get to um, that make it slower. So I think I think there is a combination here where there needs to be some redefining of what the right user experience is to allow everyone to be efficient because more is not necessarily better right it's it's i, I love the whole principle of of kissing you know keep it simple stupid it's it's yep. uh it you know keep your user experience crisp clean and to the point if you want something tap a button and get as much detail as you want but let me be in control of that don't overwhelm me with so much data that it takes me forever to get to, say, a search field, you know, <clears> even <throat> though I could use the rotor and I could flick down. You know, that just takes time. Why shouldn't I just be able to do a four-finger you know, tap on the screen and get to the bottom and then double tap on a search field as opposed to then doing that and then flicking back 10 times as an example? So yep. it just depends on the application. I think it is a, definitely a combination if, of things, but overall, it, it, it you know, we ha we just have to learn more about how to interact with that specific application more so than others might. But 
that's what makes us better, isn't it? So well, would, would a useful activity for ACB then be to develop a set of principles that would that would define usability for visually impaired and blind folks? Yeah, and I think it's a I think it's a discussion that we should be having across the industry and and to see if we can set up a, a some fundamental guidelines that I think mm -hmm. you know and, and maybe it's a partnership that it's we we shouldn't do this alone. I I think that we should do this collectively and figure out what that voice is. And I don't know exactly mm -hmm. who the partners would be at this point, but we we should. We should be thinking about this because I think it's, it's only going to get worse um, mm -hmm. with as much information that's scraped and, and pulled from all these different places. It, it, UI is going to get busier and busier and busier. At least I think it is. I could be wrong. We'll see. And we'll see. This will be interesting to see what happens in five years. This will be fascinating. Yeah. You know, I am, I am at the other end of the spectrum from you and I, and I suspect them from Brian as well. Um, in 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 that i have this this very optimistic notion that so much of the way that a program looks on the screen is going to become irrelevant because of the degree to which there will be a call for programs that can be operated entirely by voice i'm i'm optimistic of this but uh i i i think that look amazon is struggling getting this right um apple is struggling getting this right with siri yeah uh, google i'm not really sure where google is on this um we'll see i don't know this is a this is a delicate balance of you know how do you do this effectively and make it a really great rich experience but i think someone's going to solve it and and when they do they're going to be the king of of the next explosion of of the of the user experience because uh and it's going to be sooner than you think i think in the next two to three years you're going to see that evolve into something that's quite compelling we'll, we, we will see uh it's no, a great time to be alive that. it's gonna be it, a, it certainly great, is that great time I, to be alive. i cannot yeah. see the world saying well the only way the best way to do things is visually no or no. the best way to do things is orally or yeah. the best way to do thing is tactily. Yeah. I just don't see the human experience mm -hmm. being all one way or the other. No, it has to be so all of it. I'm, I'm expecting that what we're going to see is a combination of uh, augmented reality approach toward mm -hmm. uh, the visual experience. Uh, I think that you're going to see some uh, progress in the area of uh, alternative ways to select things, you know, mm -hmm. through through alternate reality or augmented reality, rather, you know, you can have the screen in front of you because you're wearing glasses and it feels like it's in front of you and you can just reach your hand out and touch things and move them around. Uh, so there's no keyboard. It's monitoring the, what you're doing with your hand with respect to your visual field right we need to make sure that as that happens which i think is inevitable uh, human beings are first and foremost visual entities that's the strongest sense uh if you have it so yep. 
I can't imagine they're going to abandon that. That's going to be down the center aisle. Then we need to make sure that there is a way for us, those who aren't seeing this, one, aren't going to have to pay. I, that, that always has frustrated me, that I have to pay more to duplicate something I can't use. Mm -hmm. have to pay for yep. the screen when I have no need for a screen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so the same thing would be true for how much of the cost of that uh, pair of, of virtual glasses is for visual rather than non-visual engagement. Yeah, Brian. So I, 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 I think that speech will do it, but I think that it's going to be uh, a great deal of multimedia, multi-sensory interface. I, that, uh, I equate with what you're saying to... In Zoom, we talk about the latency factor and the problem with lag time. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And I think over the last two to three years, we've seen the lag time be minimized by all the things that are happening, including AI. And I've, I've heard about what you're talking about with regard to the screen, and I think it, it could only be a plus for us when the world is talking about inclusiveness that we're going to catch up. I don't know if we'll catch up totally within the next couple of years, but I think we're going to be very close to being able to do what sighted people take for granted already. Look at, look at the transcription work that's happening yes. in zoom and other technologies yes. that you turn on and, and it's practically perfect, uh, you know, and they're able to differentiate voices and tell you who's speaking and who's not speaking. And, you know, it's it, it's not one hundred percent accurate, but man, it's it's awfully awfully close. Yeah, o almost almost uh, admittedly embarrassingly so. <laughs> so, so it catches laughs and everything. So yeah. my That's end right. of the spectrum, my end of the spectrum says this: with ChatGPT and other similar systems, mm -hmm. uh, a blind person is able to sit with ChatGPT and ask it questions and then ask it more detailed questions and drill yep. down to levels uh, that that would would have taken us probably 30 or 40 or 50 times as long as it takes us now um, yep. to, to do what we're doing simply with voice input um, or typing and yeah <laughs> yeah or typing um, and and I guess and I guess my feeling is if that continues to evolve, we it seems to me are going to get to a place at some point where um, the actual organization in the shape of of uh, web pages is not going to be nearly as relevant for those of us who are blind because there is an alternate way of getting information from the internet which essentially has whatever assistant you're using doing the work for you and i and i guess that's the that's the that's that's where i'm coming from in suggesting uh, because it it already seems to be evolving pretty quickly um that that it's going to suddenly create a, a, a i guess the right word is a level of um immediate access for blind and visually impaired folks um who don't have 
the kind of training that allows them to get past inaccessible websites um, who will be able to, in fact, do all kinds of things that they simply can't do now. Well, a- AI is a game changer for people with disabilities, for sure. It, it levels the playing field and provides, in, in many respects, equal access to what we wouldn't have had in the past. And mm-hmm. it's only going to get better. So we yep. live in great times and, and uh, buckle in, everybody, because uh, we're just in the very beginning stages of this technology. It's, I mean, it's been around a long time, but you know, we're only at the very, very, very beginning here. This will be a very fun thing to watch. And yep. if you think you have privacy on the internet, uh, forget it because you don't. Um, yep. Just chalk that up to you know uh, that's that's not a thing. And you can think it all you want, but you really, really, really don't. You can safeguard some things, but overall, you know, this technology is here to stay. Uh, embrace it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good thing and be wise with it. That's the important thing to talk about is to be wise with it. You know, any, any tool can be dangerous. Absolutely. In New Hampshire, during the primary that's happening there today, there was a, um, a, uh, call it a a robocall imitation doing robocalls, encouraging Mm -hmm. people not Not to vote vote. in the primary. Mm-hmm. And it was it's totally the the dark side, if you will, of yep. what can happen with some of these things. I think blind people are going to have one significant advantage over sighted people in the world of voice recognition slash AI. And that is we are very verbal uh, yep. by as a matter of compensation for the lack of vision. And as a result, if you can ask a question well you can avoid having to ask follow on and follow on and follow on questions to get to what you want if you can compose a verbal sentence well you're you're way ahead of people who have not had to exercise that particular skill that's correct yep good point both of you um marianne uh, rick uh, larry anything you'd like to add before we before we open this section up a little? No. No, I'm good. Uh, Well covered. I'm I'm good, Paul. Looking forward to what's coming up next. All right. So do we have any any hands, Miss Marianne? We do. Anicio. Mr. Correa. His has been up for quite a while. Hi, can you hear me? We can hear you. Yes, sir. Hello, Brian and Paul and everyone and Jeff. Uh, just two quick things. One, I wanted to follow up on the chat GPT. I, gi- I wanted to give you an example. <clears throat> Last night, I bought two laptops, and I needed to read, you know, because I wasn't, sh- I was, I couldn't, fi- I couldn't decide which one to to purchase. There you go. And I knew I could return it. So, last night, once I made the decision, I wanted to um, delete my profile from Windows 11 on one of them, and I. I didn't know it. I, I googled there, and then I finally, I said, oh my God, I have the, the chat GPT app here on my phone. So I did it, and she told me exactly the steps. And not only she told, she, I'm saying, see, she, I have a female voice on it, but not only it told me 
the steps, but as I began implementing those steps, the thing caught up with me as, oh, it looks like you're on the right track. You now need to do this. That was just blew me away. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> I mean, great stuff. talk about interaction. So, but I wanted to move on to another topic that it reminds me a, a little bit of, Jeff, you mentioned a while ago the transcription in Zoom, how wonderful it is and how accurate and it's automatic. And I'm assuming that that probably does the job. Some some people had that job in somewhere, somehow, right? Of, of transcribing calls, especially in businesses or whatever. And I wanted to equate that to the to the <clears throat> the argument that is going on now about um, overlays. And I I must admit before I even bring this up that I. I know very little about it and how they work and all that kind of stuff. But I've been a little bit of appalled of, of the almost unanimous negativity towards that when, in fact, there may be some potential there, you know, um, because, again, you're talking about tens or hundreds of thousands of websites that are out there, and maybe the whole technology is not perfect right now, but is that a possibility of continuing to improve it, and the only way you're going to improve it is by somehow have some level of adoption. I'm just curious about to have your your input on yeah. that, just, uh, Jeff. Just before just before I let Jeff respond, let me let me put folks in the loop. I, I think what Anisio is talking about are what are called web accessibility overlays, and what what these essentially are is there are a number of companies who have gone into the marketplace and said to companies um you are required to to have your website accessible and we can provide you um with what amounts to a tool that when you apply it to your website will will virtually automatically create um accessibility for you and protect you from anybody suing you if you're not doing the right thing right um having said that um i'll now let jeff respond to your question let, let me just add that to paul because i i'm trying to stay away from the all those positive uh overdone marketing um right uh, and i'm pitched but but because that's, that's, but, that's but that's but that's part of the history though an issue i mean yeah. I, I, I don't know that you can i mean mm. yeah but anyway jeff what do you think well i i would just say this because i think we had to be careful on how we phrase this um i i would just say this that i i think there is potential of technology doing marvelous things but i also understand that with this level of complexity it requires human intervention to ensure that the technology is achieving its end result. And I don't think that, I don't think that we can say with a surety that a tool can accomplish 100% accessibility all of the time. I right. think if, if, if a company were to come forward and say, we have a tool, it is effective, but it does require intervention to ensure that it's meeting a standard and but it is but it but it is helpful to you and it and we have seen over time that it meets this level of compliance from our testing but 
every site is different. It's all in how you, it's all in how you <laughs> represent it, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and I think, and I think that if you if you do it that way, look, I, I am a firm believer in technology solving all the world's problems eventually. The, but but we have to remember that we have humans on the planet for a reason. We have people here to to help validate assumptions and validate results. And that's not going to change in the next 10 years, in, in my opinion, because you want to know why? Technology is not going to change. So as the, the target will continuously change, the tar target will constantly be moving. So if the, if the target is constantly moving, then the tools have to move, which means that there's always going to be someone needed to validate them. What, what I think it will help do is it will help solve some of the simple things that we can do to, to overcome with the technology mm -hmm. and leave some of these really complex user experiences where, you know, you can't solve it with a tool. You're going to have to dig in and someone's going to have to figure out, okay, well, you know, this, th there's all these ARIA events firing and is it firing in the right order? And is, is the screen reader picking up things that correctly? And right. There's all these, these, these really technical decision points that have to be made. Think, and this is what, and this is why we have to make sure that we're, we're that, that everybody is working together. There's no silos. Everyone's mm -hmm. working together cohesively to solve a problem. You know, it takes a village, someone once said, and that's true in accessibility too. And, and Jeff, the, I, don't, in, I, don't, yeah. I don't see that. I don't see that, that rational argument that you just made. And I see just people up in arms of, and, you know, and I just read today that there was a, a group of blind people in France that sued one, an overlay company. I don't think it was from here. Yeah. It might have been uh, European. And uh, apparently they lost. I mean, it doesn't mean that they were not right. But I'm saying, though, I don't hear in our community the level of rational argument they just made that I think is so, so right. refreshing. Well, I, 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 will say, I will say this, though. I think that, that some of the companies, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to make any assumptions on anything because I don't want to create a problem for myself or anyone else. I, 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 I think Paul was right that there is historical context here. And I think that with that, that, and, and, and many of them have apologized for that and they have reset. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a, right. And that's, and that's a good thing. Right. I, exactly. So, so look, I think we are all human nature. We're going to respond in the ways that we respond because of actions that have been, that have taken place and maybe some people are a bit cynical or or a bit untrusting but mm -hmm. but that's okay to have people that are not trusting because you want to know why because that makes sure that they still have a seat at the table so so the, the everyone needs to we all need to take a deep breath and and just relax a little bit and think about what is the problem to solve how do we do that in a way that that where we can come together and try to do this in a cohesive manner without bashing people because that doesn't solve anything we can we can spend time in court for 10 years if we want but you know what that doesn't solve the millions of websites that are not accessible mm -hmm. that doesn't solve this problem so you know this is but, I'm not, but i'm not but i'm not saying that i'm but i'm not saying that there's no there's no right or wrong answer here. It is a combination of everyone choosing to work together 
to solve an inherent, very difficult problem. Look, WebAIM says 97% of the web is inaccessible. Why don't yeah. we talk about that? Why don't we talk yeah. about that and not focus on overlays and talk about lawsuits and talk about all these other issues? Let's focus on the inherent problems that there are and come together as a community and try to figure out a way where we can build back better. That's what we need to be doing. Now, okay, I'll stop. I'm sorry. I. <laughs> and this is why this is why Jeff Bishop is the president of Bits. So thank you for your answer. Wow, what a transition it. that was. That was yeah. That was great. <laughs> man, that was. Paul didn't even pay me for this. <laughs> I think Paul, you set I think that I, up. I I, I, I want to throw in a couple of words here in this conversation, Brian, and and I then did. I have a couple. It's always been my opinion that um, for any entity to say our product is accessible is a fallacy because their product is a moving target. Their websites simply don't get published and then uh, are as if they were published in hard copy. They're in a continuous state of change. Um, as a result, nothing is ever fully accessible. Uh, when you talk about the web, certainly. I also am concerned that if something is 90% accessible, but you can't finish a transaction because of the 10% that's not accessible, or the it might as well have failed. Yeah, or okay? the 1% yes. for so, that matter. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's the 1% that, that causes you not to complete a transaction, yep. then, then it, it's not acceptable. And these tools at this point do not achieve anywhere close to 100% accessibility no. for the companies that are paying for that service. Yep. I like what I'm Jeff was saying, that probably what these companies ought to be doing is saying, our first level of assistance to you is this overlay. Our second level, and what we want you to um pay us for is continuous validation mm -hmm. of what you're up to yep. to and make mediation sure, mm -hmm. yeah and mediation that that's mm -hmm. what these companies ought to be providing not just enough to keep from going to court and i would say that one of the other things about going to court is <clears throat> the number of bogus bogus filings against companies for inaccessibility is driving a lot of companies to do this kind of approach rather than simply coding things right in the first place that's correct and we yeah. need we as a community need to push back on that kind of of uh <laughs> financial advantage to uh these what do I call good, them? Vampires. Good luck, good <laughs> luck figuring out a, good luck figuring out how to do it. But yep, yep. my my last word is this. Um I, I think that what Jeff talked about earlier is developing partnerships. And I and I think truthfully, what got all of these people into so much trouble is they made no effort to try to do that. They believed that they knew what was necessary and the only people they wanted to talk to were companies they didn't want to talk to blind people and and i think that 
Um, and, and I think that had they started out by saying, we are already talking to blind people um, and they're fully on board with what we're trying to do, it's not perfect, we, would, we wouldn't be at the place we're at now. It's because they didn't choose, the companies didn't choose to regard the people they were supposedly working for as as people that ought to be in the equation to see whether the stuff actually worked. Oh, goodness. Do wow. we? Yes, do we, we do. Have, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do. We have area codes, area code 650 ending in 155. Ooh, might be Roger Peterson. Let's see. You are Whoa. unmuted. There you go. Yeah, I, uh, I'm the one that, that put in my my phone number because I'm on the phone, and somebody says, "Who's that?" And somebody says, "Oh, it's just Roger." Just so, Roger. Nope, we got so, you, Roger. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, first of all, that uh, you know these people I'm listening to uh, are people that. I think I've known for a combination of about three centuries. And that's um, probably right. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm remembering. I'm remembering Jeff. Uh, okay, Roger, you don't have to do that, Roger. But <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in ACB yet. But I remember '86 when I was in Phoenix, yes, working yeah. at the Phoenix Public Library, and uh, and we were doing uh, me and. And Chris Gray and uh, Jeff were talking about versabrails and so forth. Yeah, but, I had a, um, yeah, yeah. I remember those. Anyway, I'm I'm very happy to hear all my my uh, good friends, including Brian from Oregon. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, but then let me just say one other thing that came up while you guys were talking. Um, I am. Uh, you know, I studied psychology, uh, notably perception, and uh, I thought I was in, headed for doing good things for accessibility, and I, I didn't so much, but I'm still here. Uh, I'm 82, by the way, you guys. Uh, um, and I wanted to say that one of my professors in graduate school said to me that... Um, you can tell what's wrong by the spending, by the money that's being spent. He said, in the, in the field of perception, discovering how the senses work and all that, 90% is spent on vision, 5% uh, on hearing, and 5% on the rest of the senses. Interesting. And, and I think that that's, that's a part of it, too. And I think that it looks to me like, uh, by the way, I I can hardly hear now, in addition to being blind. Right. And uh, I think that um, the people who are making earphones and uh, and stereo systems and so forth are are going to figure out hearing before the academics who claim to be experts on hearing are going to. Yeah. But uh, anyway. I'll, I'll leave it at that and just say welcome to you guys. By the way, uh, 77 was my first uh, ACB convention, too, in Miami. There you go. 
in Miami. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Yep. Thank you, Roger. He, Excellent. He, he, he interviewed me at Telesensory back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Roger, didn't get the the, job. There, I did there, not. I was yeah, there, not sure why, but. There are a lot of us, there are a lot of us, Roger, who value, who value what you did um, early on in, in, in the 80s. Um, you know, without, without pioneers like you who were prepared yep. to field test systems um, and, and advocate for their development and alteration, we, we wouldn't be where we are. So thank you, yeah. man. You, you and Chris Gray Agreed. were giant, you know, were, were yeah, giants in the industry back then. And, uh, yeah. and Paul you're, you're, and I were both in the beginning of the Rail Revival League, too. We were. There you go. There you go. We were. He's still there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <He is>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is Roger. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, Thank you, sir. Well, Thank you, Roger. Okay. Bye bye. Yep. Miss Marianne. Terry Turlow. Hey, Miss Terry. Hold on one second. Not Dr. Turlow. Moved. There you go. Hello, Terry. Um, I think that really important discussion with the differentiation of usability and accessibility. And there are, I would consider myself a moderately skilled screen reader user. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, it tr- bothers me tremendously that we can even live in a world where we need words like level of skill with a screen reader. Eyeballs and brains eyeballs and brains don't have skill levels because what's on the screen is relatively obvious. And it it I understand how some people experience websites some websites that are actually accessible as inaccessible because they don't have a level of skill necess- that is necessary to you know suss out that that web page or that screen it, but how fair is it that we as blind people need to have such a high learning curve in learning to use a screen reader um in order to really reach most of what is on a web page and Again, I'm not saying it should be fair, but it puts us in a very different um, environment relative to sighted people who can who can glean this information without having to know so much. And there are so many of us who just don't know so much, who don't have um, either either the ability or the opportunity to learn it, and they're stuck with low-level screen reader skills and a whole lot that they can't get done that's kind of one of my soapboxes but it's it's an interesting one jeff do you think that there ought to be a, a a level of competence that a blind person is expected to have with regard to screen readers yes i i do think there needs to be some do I think that it needs to be as complex as it as it is? 
Uh, I think it does for for now because the industry overall is going to have to change uh, in reference to the way that we interact, and that's going to that's going to require some fundamental shifts in what we consider, you know, our our current paradigm. Um, I, you, you look at people like Brian Harjan, who is a, a prolific, you know, Jaws scripter who takes efficiency to the next level and brings his A game every time he does it. it. It's, it's ingenuity like that, that, you know, the industry overall needs to be looking at and studying and trying to figure out, well, why is he doing the things that he's doing and how can we adapt our, you know, UI to help solve some of these, you know, these problems. Uh, you know, when we had, when we had DOS screen readers, it was a lot simpler. We could, we could do this ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I was, I, I, I was competent as a DOS user. I haven't been competent since. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're perfect for DOS was, just, I mean, we, all yeah. of us keep talking about that, but I mean, it was the bomb, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we should just make, make them, make them adopt Unix or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of people that do. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. One of the things that's always concerned me again, because my career has been less a matter of the technology than the training of people in the use of the technologies. Right. And the statistics for how many blind people there are who could use knowledge and how to use a screen reader and how many actually have access to and have taken advantage of training in its use. Yeah. It, it's I mean, appalling. I think if it truly is. Yeah. I mean, I think if you tested blind people, um, who are JAWS users, let's say, um, you would be lucky if if 95% of them knew more than 10% of what they could do with JAWS. Yes, and that what makes the difference between... There are some people who are innately capable of right. learning with very little support, uh, self-training, that kind of stuff. Such people right. do exist, but that doesn't describe the average person. The average right. person would radically be better at what they do if they had access to training, quality training, in, in their screen reader. And I don't see a way to change that without throwing one hell of a lot of money at it, changing who qualifies for uh, government support in acquiring that training, Right. And changing the industry's belief that training is not a once and done. It's a lifetime need to learn. When the new version of your screen reader comes out, yep. you know, you need training and what makes it different than the previous well, one. Yeah. Well, it's worse than that. Uh, it, it, it it's do it. operating systems it and oh, yeah, yeah. I mean it's, because yeah. we have multiple targets moving here, right? Right, exactly. You know, as yeah. the, so. the application you're expected to use and uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I, I I agree that uh, I I do not use the word fair. It's not in my personal yeah. vocabulary. Right. But right. I would say that it's in unequal. Uh, yeah. Our yeah. need to know what we're doing is greater than a sighted person's need to know what they're doing to accomplish similar things. Yeah, and the industry needs to be looking at that. I mean. You know, really hard. Absolutely. Figuring out and figuring out how to, you know, we used to do this all the time 30 years ago. We 
We need to yep. get back to that level of ingenuity. Right. And, and I, I guess that, that if we look at 30 years ago as compared to now, um, when, when JAWS first found its way onto the market, um, there was an understanding that it was okay um, for JAWS to fundamentally alter the way that the screen was perceived by the blind Correct. person in yeah. order to make yeah. it simple for it to be accessed. Mm -hmm. But we seem to have gotten to a stage where, where a bunch of blind people said to the development developers of screen readers, we want to know what the screen looks like, and we expect you to organize um, your screen reader program so that we will be able to have the same understanding of the screen that a sighted person has. But I think, I think that may actually impede usability substantially. I think, well, I think there's I'm, lots of complexity here. Uh, yeah. There is, and and I would say that uh, your average blind person is not a member of the blindness community. Correct. Uh, they're more likely to rely on non-disabled specific learning opportunities. Yes. And so it matters that we as blind people know the layout of the screen, in my opinion. Now, yeah, I've I'm trained not, people I get that. who just don't get it that way. And so I have yeah. to train them. Uh, first you do this, then you do this, then you do the other thing with total lack of this is at the top of the screen, this is at the bottom of the screen. Yep. But the yep. programmers who wrote those programs, who wrote Word and Excel and PowerPoint and all the rest, they didn't write it with the idea that somebody was going to interface with it through speech. Yep. They simply didn't. So if you want to understand a program, you have to understand it, it was not designed to be spoken. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you've got to acknowledge the, the need for having some understanding of that, especially yeah. if you're going to look for transferability of knowledge about one program onto another program in the same family. If you understand things like menu bars and dialogue boxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in Word, you can apply a lot of that to Excel. Uh, in Excel, you can apply a lot of it to PowerPoint. Uh, and not yep. just a matter of memorizing keystrokes. I, I do think AI is going to change a lot of this eventually. I think it is. Yes. I think it yeah. is. So we will see. And for we the better. See. And for yes, the better. Exactly. We will see. Everybody stand by. We'll see. We'll all learn together, shall we? <laughs> yeah, we will. Go. So we're going to take two more questions from Marianne, and then we're going to move to talk about bits. Okay. We have area code 623. Um, sorry. 623, um, you are allowed to unmute. Hi, Hello. Um, Six, two, three. I, yeah, she's go with ahead. us. Joan Leonard. Go for it. There you go. Can Welcome. you hear me? We can. Yes, yes. we can. Um, well, I have a bit question. So do I have to wait a couple more uh, no, minutes? No, you don't. Go ahead with your bits question. Okay. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Um, I just joined bits. Uh, with the help of Brad Snyder. Um, Fantastic. Really recently. What is your name? And 
My name is Joan Leonard. Okay. And I, I prefer to be called Joni, but I'm listed in your records as Joan. Okay. Gotcha. Send me an email at president at bits-acb.org, and we'll fix that for you, okay? Okay. Um, repeat that again, please. Sure. President at bits-acb.org. Okay. Okay. And we'll, uh, fix, my, that. we'll my, fix that for you tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, Thanks, I won't Joni. be able to. Okay, wait a minute. I still have another question. Yeah, go for it. Ta-da. A couple weeks ago, Jeff, you said that there was going to be a, a presentation or a meeting uh, tomorrow night about um, etiquette of email, of using email and different things. Yes, that's on the uh, 31st. It's on the 31st. Yes, it will be on okay, the 31st, and, and we'll, we'll announce it on um, our email list at BITS, okay? It's a BITS okay, member-only we'll event. Ah. Okay. So, so what time we'll be talking... Be? Eight o'clock Eastern, I believe. Okay, so we'll you. be talking in in a little while about how other people can become members like Joni did, and um, so um, so we will come to that. But thank you for your question, Miss Joni. Thank you, Joni. Appreciate that. You're very thank you. It's good to hear your voice. Take care. Thank you, Miss mm -hmm. Marianne. We have Patty Fletcher. Miss Fletcher. Hey, Patty. Hello. Um, so I just uh, briefly wonderful presentation thus far. Thank you. <laughs> so here is something to take us out of this hour to think about and chew on. It's wonderful and must be done that we make what is and what is to uh, what you know what we have accessible and to make certain that businesses are doing what they should do, etc. But in the future, going going forward in the future, should it just not be built in? Does anybody get tired of being an afterthought? Oops, we forgot about the blind people again. Yeah, I I, I understand that, and I think that that's something that that that's part of the conversation that we should be having with everyone about this. That it needs to be part of the all overall user experience process. And companies are a lot better than they than they used to be for sure. Uh, there's well, no yeah, question. They, there's they there's know, no question about that. Sure, they know now something about it. Most of them, but even yet, I mean, we have all these hateful kiosks that are. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and things like that, and yep. You know, we were we, blind people have been around for a while. It's not like we're a new thing. So when they start creating these things, I just think that. Is there not some kind of way to press that forward a little more firmly? Like, I don't know I, what I, I want to... <laughs> I think ACB is doing um, oh, I a think lot of things. Oh, I think doing a great job with that. I and just... Let, let's, let's talk for a second about something that doesn't perhaps have as much to do with, with access technology per se, but may provide a model. <clears throat> um ACB ACB has persuaded 
a number of streaming services to provide audio description. Yes. There is nothing in the law that says that any of those folks need to be doing that. We we persuaded them to do it um, by by using a particular kind of intervention. Um, and I think we can begin to apply it. And, and Brian has been more involved in that than anybody else on this call. But I think we can begin to try applying that with some of the technology companies to see if it'll work. Well, I and have I, to say, and that's called structured negotiation, by the way. So, yeah. would you agree with that, Brian? It's one of the things we've used off and on. It's it's the continuing partnership that comes from that kind of interaction in the yes. first place. Uh, exactly. We do have a good working relationship with Microsoft. We do have a good working relationship with Amazon. Uh, we do have a good working relationship with Apple. Not so much with Google. That's one of those ones that is on again, off again, all oh. depending on who's at work that day. Um, oh, even but I would put ACB Media on a, on Google. It's just very rude. <laughs> the, I, I would say this about about um, things being done more effectively from the get go. And that yes. I'll direct my comment to Jeff and Jeff can can tell me if I'm wrong here. A oh. lot of the accessibility problems would be solved if the tools that people use to create content were themselves uh, directed toward creating accessible content. So in other words, to make those accessible would make every... Well, well, not so much to make them accessible, but to make them so that by default, yeah, so they, they use something, yeah, it would be they, accessible. Right. They would, they would, they would, in effect, default to programming accessibility in Patty. That's what we're talking about. Exactly. So, for example, alt tags, right? Yeah. Putting alt tags in so that you and I can come across a, uh, a graphic and we get a description of what the graphic is, is something that could be built into a tool that the default was as you were programming that page, you'd be asked for an alt tag. Well, it would be wonderful because I, I'm not, I'm not going to get off on a bandwagon because, you know, but it would be wonderful because as an author, I, I um, battle every day many facets of that, um, the writing world, the digital writing world, Yep. Uh, on my end of it that are not accessible. But I would just like to close and say that when you were speaking about what ACB is doing, I will say that they are doing magnificent things in teaching advocacy and accessibility because when I joined my local senior center, I was well accepted. And part of that is how I entered into it. And then when I began to receive their digital newsletter, which I could barely read, I began then working with a webmaster, and we now have a 100% accessible digital newsletter. How cool there is that? Miss Patty, I'm going to cut you off because you. I got to yeah. I got to got to talk to 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 Mr. Jeff oh. about this organization that he's become president <laughs> yes. of. Yes. Go go for it. Thank you. Patty. So, so Mr. Jeff. Um, you have only recently become president of uh, of Bits, and 
once you decided to take that direction, you you took some kind of interesting decisions, I think, um, with regard to what your affiliate could do um, to encourage folks to join. Tell us about some of those. Yeah, Paul, you know, I, I am a firm believer that if we are a 501c3, that our mission is to give back. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not to raise tens of thousands or millions of dollars, although that's nice. But the primary mission of our organization is to give back. Um, we, we uh, due to the historic nature of the work that people like John McCann and others have done, we have a a very robust set of data in AMMS of past members. And I thought, wow, um, wouldn't it be great if we could try to get all of those members back and then grow the affiliate and then look to see what we could do about, you know, doing some great things with, because we would have a larger number of people and we could go to the, to the Microsoft's or the Google's or the whomever's to say, listen, we've got X number of people uh, and, and we're doing some great things around education and, and productivity and efficiency and empowering people through both leadership as well as technology. Um, would you be willing to give us a grant or do something? So I approached the board and I said, listen, I think that we should offer free memberships to anyone that wants one from July 1st to the end of February. And I thought people are going to think I'm a nut. Um, and everyone went, yes, let's do that. And I thought, wow. <laughs> uh, okay. So, I, and I was very, very scared of this because I thought this is either going to be a, a disaster um, of epic proportions, meaning it's going to cost us $3,100 or something. And we're going to just be, it's going to be in a bad situation uh, or, or, or it's going to cost us 300 because we're not going to get that many members or something. I, I wasn't, I was, I honestly wasn't sure what to expect. Um, but what I did know was that as the new leader of the organization, I needed to put our people first so when, when we put together a leadership team uh, and when we had our annual meeting, one of the things I, I strongly emphasized was that, that we are here to serve one another and that we need every single person in this organization to step up and be a voice, no matter how loud or how soft that voice might be, and contribute in whatever special way that they can. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be small. It, whatever it is. Whatever that is, please help. And then the other thing I said to the leadership team is, you know, I'm the president, but I'm just you. I'm just like you. I'm gonna I'm going to 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 put together some committees, and those committees are going to be empowered to go do the work of this organization. And I'm not gonna get in your way. If you need help, if you need guidance, if you want some advice, fine. But I want people to feel like they're a part of something special. And, and that's the message that I took, and that's the message that I drove. And uh, we had 190, 179, I keep messing that up, 179 members last March that we certified in BITS. And we are about at 586 at this point, which means, nice. that we, which means we have about approximately 40 memberships left that we will be giving away and then we will stop. We're going to, we're going to cap it at 625 
and so uh the the we're we're doing some some last minute analysis we have a bunch of people doing this behind the scenes just to make sure that we dot our i's and cross our t's to make sure we know exactly what this number is because we don't want to go crazy over it if we go five or something it's fine but if we if if we you know we want to know kind of in the ballpark that if, if we're right and we're going to reopen memberships and we're going to invite the last 40 people to step up and become a part of the family and uh but we didn't stop there paul um with that that's that's just that's just step one of of many that we're undertaking go ahead and tell us some more about some of the others i guess the i guess what we should stress though is that the membership that you're offering is for one year, but it's actually free to anybody who chooses to join. That's right. So and we pay your ACB membership. Right. Before we get too much further, tell folks where they should look for that information. That's right. So right now, if you go to joinbits, that's J-O-I-N-B-I-T-S dot org, and you sign up, you'll have to pay. We will make the language on the front page uh change once we have reopened the door for free again so stay tuned for that so if you just want to wait oh 12 hours or so probably we will we should have an answer for you um and then that that language will be up there again so it's up to you uh, I, I will say that we since december 1st have had eight life members join so that's two thousand dollars uh, and we've had hundreds and hundreds of other donations made to the organization so we believe I shouldn't say this, but I think we are pretty darn close to paying for the entire free membership process that we have instituted due to the due to kind generations that we've received over the last two months, which is which just is amazingly great. And I am so delighted and so happy that people are supporting the organization the way they are. It's uh, phenomenal. So All right. So join bits is the first thing that you did. Join bits.org. Yep. Yep. What is the next thing you did? Well, then the, the next thing that we did was we, we wanted to, um, we, we wanted to start educating people, uh, uh, even more around technology. And one of the first things that we heard from our membership was we need more advanced training in things. Um, we've also heard that we need more basic training in things. So we decided to solve that problem. So our first course that we're offering through bits and you have to be a member and it's free is a Python training course. So for those that are NVDA users or want to be, and you want to write add-ons for NVDA, we're going to teach you Python. So how did we solve that? Well, we thought, well, we could we could look internally inside the organization. We could try to find people that could help do this, or or we could reach out to technology companies and, and experts in the field like we did and try to cultivate an atmosphere of learning and partnership. So we contacted uh, people that work for APH, the American Printing House, we contacted people that work at Microsoft. We contacted independent software developers. We have a team now of about 15 people on the administrative side or so. Maybe that's about, I think that's about right. It's, there's a lot um, that are helping with this course. Uh, and, and we're treating it as though it were a junior college level course. So you sign up, uh, you come to class, you have homework, um, 
you you have expectations that that we want you to achieve uh, because we want you to get as much as you can out of it um and so that's what we're doing class starts on february 19th if you become a bits member you too can send an email to the president and ask to be included in the python training course uh and then the next thing we said was well this book is expensive how do we solve that now we're still negotiating with bookshare on this but we believe that we have come to an agreement on exactly what that's going to look like um and and our and our hope and vision is that we will provide the material needed for our training courses if it requires bookshare access um that we will we will make sure that people have access to the books that they need to be able to complete the course content so it's education right it's about empowering people through learning and so this is this is a, a major shift in bits it's a it brings us to the next level of empowering people allowing them to to uh do something for themselves they were not able to accomplish before by being part of something special so let's dot i's and cross t's before we go on bookshare is an organization that allegedly right now and i believe them has over a million titles available in formats that are accessible right. to people who are blind that can be downloaded directly to a computer traditionally <laughs> um, signing up for bookshare costs 25 dollars for an application fee and 75 dollars a year yeah i think it's 879 now right isn't it 80 or yeah, something it, yeah it has gone it to 79 it was it was 50 and it went to 79 yeah You're exactly right. yeah 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 so we're so we are in uh i can't probably talk about the specifics because we keep shifting in our conversations about exactly how this process is going to work and 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 again we are partnering with many <clears throat> to do this too so this is again i and i keep emphasizing this but it's about partnering it's about trying to do things in a way where you bring people together and try to build something special for the benefit of everyone and that's how you that's how you build things that are that are tremendously special um yes. by by bringing the community together bringing being bringing people the things that they want and what they desire and we're not done so then we we created an education committee and uh debbie armstrong is the chair of that committee so she's got tons of academic experience and works at a, a college at, in california and and we're working on the next course that we're going to be doing in the fall and we already have plans for that so so we're we're way ahead of the game here and uh we've got all kinds of opportunities for for training and and uh, that we're looking at uh including more technical training on web accessibility and web development and um office and uh you know, we might even dive into Google and and all kinds of things. So we're we're thinking boldly, we're thinking big, and uh, come along for the ride and help us accomplish this goal. Because I'll tell you right. what, we cannot do it alone. Absolutely not. So now, then, Fitz already has some courses that are available for people who aren't members. Like I think Herbie Allen is doing something yep, on yep, on, yep. and we have on, presentations yeah. too. Yep, yep. Yeah. But these are structured courses where you know you're going to come and you're going to listen to a, someone teach you for two hours and then you're going to get a homework assignment and you're going to be expected right. to do it mm -hmm. and you're going to come back and it's going to get you know not well graded for an a or b or whatever but you're going to get feedback on your work mm -hmm. and we and we're building a community we have over a hundred people in our python course 
So that's that's a high level course, but you also said you were thinking about doing some lower level training. Can you yep, tell yep. us about that? Well, we're in the midst of planning that and we're building the team to do that, but we're looking at things like Office and Google and um, uh, survey tools like Google Forms and, um, you know, we're, we're exploring it. We're, we're, we're looking at it. it it's mm -hmm. uh, We only want to do one of these at a time because, first of all, it's a lot of work. Um, so we don't know that we have the bandwidth to, have to be running two or three courses mm -hmm. at a time unless we get a lot more money and have a lot more resources and a lot more staff, right? I mm -hmm. think you could do it then, but right now we don't have that. So so we're all volunteers. We don't get paid. None of us get paid to do this. So, you know, it's 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 about trying to, to do something where we can. And and I feel like it's a second job because it's wow, it's 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 pretty intensive. <laughs> so then so then we had another another problem to solve, Paul. And we said, listen. If we're going to offer training, we're going to offer courses, and we have people working on on computers, whether it's Office or it's training in Python or whatever it is, we're going to need to remote into these computers in some way. And we're going to need to be able to do it effectively and efficiently and with just great ease of use. Yeah, so define, define remote into for folks. Sure. So what this means... Uh, being able to connect to another person's computer and independently be able to do things with or without a screen reader installed on the other device. Okay. So this means that we would, should be able to do that, you know, to be able to help anyone. So if a person's screen reader dies, we should be able to then get on that machine and fix it. Um, we should be able to fix whatever issues they might be having with code or with their development environment or office mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So again, we partnered with the assistive technology industry and we went to um, Numa Solutions and we said, listen, we would love to be able to do something special with you uh, and provide additional RIM access for BITS members. So right now you get 30 minutes a day of RIM for free. Uh, that's, that's what they offer for anybody that's a BITS member or non-BITS member. And so we came to an agreement and now if you become a BITS member, you get an hour for free a day, which for, you know what, most people, for, if you're probably doing something enough. quick, it's probably enough, right? So, 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 so we saw RIM that. RIM stands for Remote, Remote Incident, Incident Manager. Manager. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, um, and it basically is a program that allows you to do exactly what Jeff said, that is mm -hmm. to get into somebody else's computer. I think what probably needs to be said is there are a number of programs out there that claim to be able to do that. But I think there, it, it would generally be accurate to say that RIM is is now regarded as as by far the leader in the field in terms of enabling people to do that. Yes, it's like the Cadillac, right? If it, it, it's like right. the premier yes. premier way of doing it. It's it's unbelievably right. great. So, so so again, we we continue to partner. We're talking with uh, organizations like W three Schools. We're we're um we're we're talking with others about how we can partner with them. It, it, it's about building a community together with the help of others to be able to do great things. And so we can't do it without, um, you know, each and every one of you. Now I will tell you when you go from 179 to 580, whatever we're at at the moment, there are growing pains. And one of those is, um, one of those is dealing with the massive amounts of data that that represents. So I will tell you, it's been hard and, and our team has been working countless hours to try to achieve this result. And God bless each and every single one of you for, for being valiant and being willing to help in that process. I mean, I know I'm doing it. We've got our treasurer, John McCann. We've got 
Robin, we got our entire board is just working their you know fingers to the bone to try to 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 support the tremendous amount of growth. One of the, one of the other things that I'll that I'll end with, which is which is something we have a great vision around too about giving back, is we want to do something great in the area of leadership. What does that mean? Well, we 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 are working on our new website. One of the things that we're emphasizing as part of that process is is that we want technology to solve the administrative burden of running an affiliate so we're building a a a technology stack or or a website uh with the fundamentals of doing things like automatic renewals if people want and uh automatically interfacing with amms data so that we can import users really easily and allowing people to get immediate access to things like groups.io lists um we have we have great vision for this but the, but the bigger vision is not just about us but it's how do we take this solution as we build it together inside of bits how do we take that vision and build it with others to accommodate and lift the entire organization of the American Council of the Blind up to build something great. So that's what we're in the process of trying to accomplish. And it's going to take a bit of work because we got to get some some basic things done. So we have something to pedal with, right? You got to have something to work with. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that first. And then we're going to reach out to you know the Leadership Institute. And we're going to reach out to others. And we're going to reach out to presidents. And we're going to have conversations. We've already had people step up like ACBDA and Arizona Council and government employees in Florida and others that said, hey, listen, we're, we, this is interesting. We think this would be interesting and we, we would like to help. So our, our ultimate goal is to build something great and basically say, you can have it. You need to buy the, the tools that you'll need to build it. And then you're going to probably need to have hire someone to, to, to put the infrastructure together. But we're not going to sell it. You know, we're not going, we're, it's not our role here to make a ton of money off of it. It's, it's how do we give back to make sure that people can be as successful as we hope that we will be in the, in the product that we are building. So we have a lot of vision. We have a lot of ambition. We have a lot of people who are truly dedicated and, and, and are empowered to do great things. Um, we, we have a lot of people who are, who are really excited about the work that we're doing. Our bitch chats, we generally have about 40 people who attend those at night at, during a very, very competitive time in ACB space, because that's when things like karaoke are happening and other things that are happening in ACB and iBug and all kinds of other things, which, you know, um, is, is pretty good. And we've had even more. At our board meeting, we generally have uh, between 60 and 80 people that participate at the board meeting uh, who, who come and, and participate and ask questions and, and uh, are, are listening to the leadership and finding out what they're doing. Uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous to see the outpouring of uh, just support that we are seeing overall, both in and, out, in and outside of BITS. And we want as many people that want to be part of this uh, family to be a part of us for free. And even if you had to pay $20, the immediate value, I, I think, that you get out of the organization and what we're bringing to the table uh, is is compelling. And uh, I don't say that to be braggadocious or, or anything. I, 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 think it, I think it speaks for itself. Do you think um, BITS has things to teach other affiliates? 
Well, I, I hope so. I, I, I think so. Um, I think what it's, what it's taught me is that we all need to be bold in, in what we think we can achieve and don't be afraid to fail. Um, what, what I have told our leadership team is there is no such thing as a mistake unless you don't learn from it. If you learn from something where it didn't quite, quite go as you expected, that's okay as long as you've learned something from it. And uh, I, I think that 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 builds and empowers people. It emphasizes that we have trust in you, whether you're a member or if you're a leader or you're a committee chair or whatever you are, you're part of the family and you're there to make a difference. Um, don't focus so much on on dues. You know, I, 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 I don't know that that's really the important thing to be focusing on. It's about people. And focus on the people. I think if we did that as affiliates and we focus on empowering our people and, and, and you know, we're, we're uh, about to ratify our, our, our life, member, um, life member dues are going to go down from 250 to 200. Um, we, we, uh, I wanted them to go down to 100, but that, I guess I was a little too bold for that. <laughs> <laughs> but because, again, it's not about the money. It's about people. And I, I think that, you know, uh, and I know that we do this across the board with affiliates. I know that. And I know that the focus is on people. Um, but don't be afraid to be bold and courageous in your leadership. Don't be afraid of failing fast. Don't be afraid of failure. It's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, this, we could have fallen on our face. And we still might, by the way. Uh, you know, I don't know where this is going to end up. I, I, I don't know. But all I know is, is that we're working very, very hard. And I know that the work that we're doing is, is um, compelling. And, and I think that, that we are achieving success. Uh, the, the truth that test of this will be next year when, yes. when we either get a grant and we don't charge again, which is my vision. That's what I hope to be doing. Um, or how many people stay with us? And I don't expect all of them will. I really don't. Not all of them, not all of them will. And that's okay. But you know, man, if you keep 60, 70, 80% of your people, that's success. So it, the, it's, the, you know, the growth that has occurred in, in special interest affiliates over the past three years has been pretty consistent, especially those that are working. So um, organizations like Lua and BRL and BITS um, are growing. Um, and, and I think it has a lot to do with our presence between conventions. But I guess my question to you is, do you think that what you're doing with BITS has anything to say to state affiliates? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I, I think, I that think it is. I yep. think this, this is a much more, BITS is in, a, is, a, is in a very unique position because we have something that's tangible, that's easier to sort of market. Like everybody loves technology, right? Everybody buys mm -hmm. iPhones. Everybody loves their computer. Everybody loves their Mac. You know, everybody loves their their a device or their, you know, whatever yep. they have, right? Mm -hmm. So, so for us, it's it's I I I'm, I'm I mean, Deb Lewis said this to me. She goes, you know, you you guys have an e it's easier for you. It's not as easy for for like you know other affiliates that that don't have that that easy thing to 
to use to be able to help them. Yes. And I and I get that. I get that. And that and that's true for state affiliates and that's true for some of our special interest affiliates, right? And so I think I don't I don't have the magic bullet. All I know is is that I think we need to be less focused on dues and more focused on people. Um I think we yeah. spend far more time chasing $5 or $10 than we do the people. And I think, I think that I think that, that's that, fair. And I think that if we were to spend more time on people, then it wouldn't matter. And uh, my my hope my hope in the future is that that the national organization changes its dues structure such that it's not emphasizing dues that it's that we that we focus on getting grants and we focus on getting our income from other sources, um, and and we represent ourselves by the numbers of people. Uh, and we, we, we do it that way. It would be much mm-hmm. more compelling to say ACB has got 50,000 members who are blind. Uh, it's going to be easier to write grants for that rather than saying we have, yep. um, you know, 8,000 or 10 or 12, I don't, whatever our number is these days, I don't even know. So, do, what, do you, you know, do whatever you that know is. by any chance yet, uh, and, and there it's a, it's a relatively complex question, but do you know by, by any chance how many of the members that have joined over the past month were not members of ACB? We have an estimate. Um, this is subject to verification, and and but we believe we are pretty accurate. Uh, we believe that we grew between 150 and 160 uh, members of our organization who have never been an ACB member in the past. Excellent. So we have about seven minutes left. I think that means we can take two or three questions if Ms. Marianne works fast. Okay, we have um, Janet and Keith Palmeter. Others in the web. Okay. Hello. I I do want to say what an interesting show. And Jeff, I'm one of the people that joined when you sent that first email out. (laughs) Yay. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I when I heard about the Python, I sorry. I have to give her. Um, I apologize. Oops, oops. Sorry. Python got her. Well, J- her Janet back. will. Okay, I'll Janet will back. probably f- will forgive us if we want to go on to somebody else. Do we have a lot and of then, hands? And then we can unmute her, right? We, um, yeah. We don't. We have one other hand. Okay. Let's take that one, and then we'll go back to Janet. Come back to her. I yeah. apologize. You're fine. Okay. One second. Miss Debbie. Okay, there you go, Reginald. Reginald, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, hard to unmute on the iPhone sometimes. I just it's want to okay. say that this is uh, an exciting and uh, live, uh, dynamic, a lot of change, and I appreciate that. It's uh, it's fun to watch all the. Uh, things that are evolving and uh i just in the area of giving back i just want to volunteer to help people with technical support issues you know on okay you know be careful Um, for what you wish for i'm willing (laughs) i'm a lifetime member of this organization yes you are yes you are yep need need help so all right um, we'll take you up on that the other thing is for just a future idea i would love to see a comprehensive reaper uh training course for audio editing and 
and so on. If anybody yeah, would, there are, you know. There are a lot of us who'd like that, I think. Okay, yeah. well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do on that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You bet. Great show. Thank you Thanks, so sir. much. Yeah. Janet and Keith have permission to talk. Okay, am I unmuted now? There you're back. You are. There you are. Yep. We're sorry oh, about that. You. No, no, that's okay. Uh, I just wanted to say, Jeff, I haven't seen you since Rochester, but you still have the A enthusiasm that you hold. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. with people like Brad Schneider and John McCann, everything's going to go great. It's just no, we, no we, question. We, we have but, a stellar leadership team. And, uh, but you know, we can't do it without each of the members and, and we're constantly listening. You know, we, we, uh, we heard the, so there were like 500 people on our discussion list and we were getting 400 messages a day and people were like, you can't, we can't do this. So we created 12 new email lists and now we're getting feedback of that, that, that people are saying, well, now I don't know where to post. So this is a vicious circle, right? <laughs> that, that you try to solve a problem and then you create others. And so we're, we have some growing pains, but. Be well, patient I, I with us. Be patient with us. Well, I, we're patient. We'll get there. I'm patient. I'm patient. But what I was going to say was you talked about Python, and that's when I thought I'm over my head. I'm in something that I, I shouldn't be in. But the more I listened and the more I really liked the one on RIM, that was very interesting. I'd like to, to get to do that. February but, 1st but, is when it starts. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, but also... Did you ever think of having an Excel, like something for the beginners, like an Excel, just yeah, something? So, right. Yeah. So I we're really looking at, yes. So we're looking at Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook training is what we're, our goal is. We'll see if, we'll see. Look, we're on a journey here. So right, we, we're, right. we're, we're going to, we are going to go where the users want us to go, right? We're, we are a driven organization based on data. So oh, you, okay, you, so then, you, you will be seeing a, a, a more in-depth survey from us to try to gather that data and try mm -hmm. to learn more about what the users want. And you're going to see that we will, we will meet the needs of the members, uh, you know, asks. Okay, so, so now I'm going to ask something about what Brad Schneider said back in the beginning. He said something about maybe going on Zoom rather than a webinar, and he thought that would be more warm and welcoming. What do you think about that? Do you think you will ever do that? Because I agreed with Brad. I mean, I do think that would be, it's much warmer than a webinar. So what we did was we purchased the 500 seat room for Zoom meetings. So we will oh, not be using webinar and we have made oh, a financial, wonderful. we have made a financial decision so that we can, will allow 500 people to attend meetings wow. in a Zoom oh. room. So oh, I love it. We are putting our money where our mouth is, <laughs> and we are we are improving the Excellent. digital footprint of the organization. So, yep, we are making significant job. change in bits. Absolutely, wonderful job, Jeff. Wonderful. Thank you so much, and Paul and Brian. Thank you for this, Marion. Thank you for this lovely show. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Thank you, Miss Janet. Uh, Mr. Jeff, you have about a minute and a half to say any final things you'd like to. Well. Come be a part of the family. We have about 39 to 40 slots left. Those will open up uh, sometime probably tomorrow is my guess, but keep checking the website. You can join now. It's $20 unless you want to become a life member, and that would be fine too. We'll take that too. But um, however you wish to do it, we'd love to have you be a part of the family. Join us at joinbits.org, J-O-I-N-B-I-T-S.org. Come be a part of something special and contribute to it because each and every one of you are special and we want what you bring to the table to be part of us. Thank you, Paul.
Thank you, Jeff. And just a, a quick clarification, if people want to become life members, is it 200 or 250 now? Uh, it's 250 for now until the board ratifies. We have we, in our constitution, we have a 30-day grace period to allow comments from members. And then uh, assuming that there are no comments, then the, uh, then the change will happen in February at our board meeting when the board ratifies it after the 30-day waiting period. Thank so you, you can wait a couple of weeks and get it for 50 bucks cheaper, probably. Knock on wood. So, yep. Absolutely. So for the next two weeks, there will not be Tuesday topics, but join us on the 13th of February when we talk about <laughs> relationships. And we want to know all about everyone's love life. So please join <laughs> us and tell us all about what you do and what you don't do and what you would like to do, but so far haven't been able to do. We're going to be warriors. Join Vince and tell to seeing you on the 13th. <laughs> and in the meantime, good night. <laughs>